Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Inside the Tunnel, brought to you by VT Scoop 24-7 Sports. My name is Andrew Alex, joined today not by Evan G. Watkins, holidays, family, but I'm joined by Doug Bowman, Don Nicholas of Red Vino, and Matei says, gentlemen, Tough one this past weekend. How are we doing, though? Good. I guess you have to drink wine for UVA week. So that's what I'm doing on this evening's podcast. I've been looking all over the place for Zima, but I can't seem to find any. It's only available available in Charlottesville. We got Doug back from a one-week hiatus after he picked uh, Boston College to win. And now we've lost Evan, (laughs) and he's currently on hiatus. So... Um, this is the podcast where you don't know what you're going to get every week, but at least we'll be three people every week. There does tend to be three people. Almost always me. No one else really knows how to operate any <laughs> of the systems or equipment. If I'm in Vegas, you get nothing. Otherwise, we'll try to piece something together. Either way, though, uh, Matei, I guess you didn't have to take a hiatus, walk of shame type deal, even though you did pick. NC State, right? Because that ended up being correct. Yeah, I mean, not very proud of that. I thought NC State was a good team. We we touched on their defense last week and how elite they were there. I think in our preview last week on the podcast, you know, you can't really, you know, I was trying to say you can't really discount what NC State has done this season. They're eight and three now with a chance to go nine and three on the season like they are probably the number three team in the ACC now the way in which they beat Virginia Tech I had no clue that they would be able to find that much success especially on on senior night uh, for Virginia Tech it, it seemed like NC State just figured out this Virginia Tech defense right at the get-go and they maximized every ounce of what they had Robert and I probably coached his best game of the season for NC State. That's probably as close to perfect as the Wolfpack offense can look. And ultimately, I know it's, you know, a seven-point game when it's all said and done, but this one just, you know, it it seemed like another game where Virginia Tech was just severely outplayed by a much better team. Like, that's what it came down to. And I think the most telling stat from this game, you can look at, you know, all the total yards and everything. But the fact that NC State's offense held the ball for 40 minutes in this game is just absolutely ridiculous. They were able to keep Virginia Tech's defense. And when you have a defense on the field for 40 minutes, I don't care who you are, you're going to get exposed. And that's exactly what happened. They they played a, a, a perfect offensive game for what they have. Uh, they were able to maximize Concepcion and... <laughs> All three phases of the game, whether it's passing, of uh, rushing, or receiving, uh, and then Brennan Armstrong, who you know we we talked about it last week, a guy that used to be a prolific passer and has now developed into 
you know, a run first quarterback, he was able to find a way and he just willed his team to, to success. And then defensively, it was it was Peyton Wilson. I think we highlighted him plenty and he just he was unbelievable. So uh, Virginia Tech just simply got outplayed and final score looks closer than it was. But it, it, it was never in doubt for the Wolfpack. Yeah, final score certainly does uh, look closer than the game actually felt. I mean, I know by, you know, you're down three touchdowns in the third quarter, and yeah, you can claw back, but the energy had, to some degree at least, left Lane Stadium. And I can tell you that from a boots-on-the-ground perspective, that there was a a feeling of imminent defeat. And there was definitely vibes, uh, you know, early on, almost to the point of the Louisville game. The first, what was it, four drives for Virginia Tech were just pretty much three and out. I mean, at least no real progress was made. Luckily, Tech was keeping NC State contained offensively for at least a quarter there. It wasn't like the Louisville game where they punched you in the mouth on both sides of the ball right away. But you got this sense that NC State was at least making more progress than Virginia Tech was, and that really came to fruition in the second quarter. Armstrong had like a career revival game. I I know in the last podcast we kind of talked about it as a crazy situation where he had had such high expectations going back to team up with uh, Robert and I. And I think if you're a Wolfpack fan, that game was – what you've been looking for all, all season out of that tandem. Uh, he looked vintage there, Doug. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, they, they seem to have figured out their identity and what they should do offensively late, um, especially with Armstrong coming back coming back around for round two after Morris. But I think they kind of figured it out with Morris. Um, he played that Miami game, I believe, um, and maybe even the Clemson game. But they see it. I wrote this in my preview, but they they seem to have figured out that they they stopped trying to be like the ideal offense that they wanted to be in the off season when they brought Armstrong in his first time around as starter is when they were like they wanted to throw the ball around the fewest pass attempts he had in those like first five games or twenty five um, pass attempts and then heading into last week against Wake Forest he had seventeen so I think they like. They, they quit trying to like be the ideal offense they hoped they would be. It just did what they needed to do to win games. And that's run, run Brendan Armstrong a lot because their running backs aren't very good and get the ball to Concepcion a lot. And, and that's as simple as they made it and they did it extremely well. Um, and it, it kind of gives Armstrong a little life here. I know he's got, they got UNC this week and then a bowl game. I mean, they could go eight, three, nine, and three with one of the worst statistical offenses like in the country. It's pretty impressive in a sense. Um, and I think like those statistics kind of hide the fact that they did kind of figure it out offensively and what they should be. So um I kind of leaned more going into that game towards the ten other games like playing out more versus kind of the new NC state offense win in the day that clearly didn't happen. Tech got um, walloped at the line of scrimmage um, consistently for four quarters kind of felt once they got going, Andrew, you were talking about that the, the, they traded 
punts early in the game and then NC State kind of got going. And once that happened, it kind of felt like that it was like that Georgia Tech game in 2018 or something when Tech just literally did not stop them except for when the clock ran out of the half, basically. Um, it, it just didn't seem like they had any chance given what was happening at the line of scrimmage. And um, I think it just kind of reaffirmed what we've learned this year about Virginia Tech in that um, they're good against – they're very, very capable against about – beating bad teams or even average teams, but the top teams in the ACC, they, they do not have a chance against. Um, saw that against Florida State, saw that against Louisville, saw that again against NC State. I think you would see it if Tech played uh, North Carolina or Clemson or even Miami. Um, it's just they, they don't have the talent on either offensive line or defensive line or even at linebacker to compete at that level of the ACC this year. And, we now have three games of evidence about that. Yeah, it really does seem like, you know, in, in this conference this year, there's the haves and there's the have-nots. And Virginia Tech is almost that dividing line, right? The lower tier, they're blowing out of the water. The upper tier, it, it doesn't seem like they stand a chance. And... It really draws an interesting comparison against this UVA game, which we'll, of course, talk about at length uh, in the coming moments. But UVA, though they're not really picking up the Ws, has shown a tendency to be a little bit more competitive against the halves uh, than Virginia Tech has, which makes for a uh, an interesting game, especially with so much on the line. Just staying on NC State, though, for a second, one thing that kind of, I mean, it certainly confused me in the moment, especially with the lack of cell phone service that you get in Lane Stadium. <laughs> you know, not handed the ball off, right? Yeah, I was like, is Tootin hurt? Overall, his final stat line there, two rushes for negative three yards. Uh, Malachi Thomas did have one 16-yard rush, and neither of them are used in the passing game. So that's three total touches for your two running backs for a team that, you know, when they've had success putting the ball on the ground and, and showing that, yeah, you know, basically running the ball to open up the pass has been what's worked for Virginia Tech. And it wasn't even, you know, at least with the guys in the backfield, not necessarily even attempted. A any logic behind that? Or <laughs> did they just forget what's worked? Or was it fear of the, the guys up front and Peyton Wilson and those linebackers? Explain it to me, please. Does not make any sense. Because the same thing happened against Florida State. Like they fell behind. What was that twenty-one nothing? Was it twenty-one or seventeen nothing? And twenty-one and in they, the first. And they spent the whole second quarter running the ball to that that long drive that took like nine minutes. That like it, the the post game explanation explanation did not make sense. It was not anything remotely accurate. Um, they did not only give the ball to Bayshul Tootin because they'd fallen behind and needed to throw to catch up. They fell behind against Florida State and did not throw to catch up. Um, so it, it didn't make sense. There's no reason for the number one or number two best player on your offense to only get the ball twice. Um, uh, a, a, a running back draw, a, a delay handoff, that would work. Um, Tootin on a swing pass out of the backfield. They love to do that. 
for most of this year, and then they just didn't do it again. I, I don't understand that Bowen's play calling, especially initially, deferred way too much to NC State's ability on defense, and that they, like, they were this, they are an extremely good defense, and are like I thought the screens and the kind of tentative way and tentative play calls and all that stuff was just way too deferential to this like notion that tech is going to struggle moving the ball and it needs to like scheme up um, some like screens and block it open and stuff like tech proved after that, after they abandoned that, after they were forced to abandon that, that like Jalen Lane and Gosnell and Daquan Felton can just line up against their secondary and win those battles. And they did that, the whole second half to get back in the to sort of get back in the game. So, I mean, I just thought that was the play calling. The Teuton touches were uh, mind boggling, and, and just I don't really don't understand how that happens. Of like, it's like the second quarter, and he's still got two touches, and he doesn't get any more. Like at some point, you got to be like, you know, guys, we haven't given the ball to our second best player in thirty minutes. Um, I, I just didn't make any sense. I thought the I thought the whole game plan was off from the very beginning in terms of just how it seemed like they didn't trust their own players to make individual plays, and then when they were forced to, those players absolutely made the individual plays. That like, yes, NC State was like backing off, and the game was arguably garbage garbage time, and the motive, whatever the the score changes that situation a little bit, but still like. Tech was open. Tech was making plays in the passing game, and it seemed like Bowen went into that game not expecting that to have a chance, which is was incorrect. Yeah, and just a correction, 22 points in the first quarter for Florida State, but even in that game, like Virginia Tech's ran 35 times. I know some of that was garbage time late there. Uh, only 16 times against NCC, and I think this has kind of been – an issue with Tyler Bowen this season. I think we even saw it against Boston College as good of a game as that was. And Tyler Bowen was named, I think, like on three's coordinator of the week for that one. To open that game, to open the Florida State game, a lot of moments in this game, he's giving so much respect to the opposing defense. He's starting out throwing the ball with Kyron Drones, not really establishing the run. Like, I think it took until like the second or third drive against Boston College for Virginia Tech to just run, run, run to really set up the pass against Boston College. And I think it's absolutely inexcusable, a guy like Bayshul Tootin, his ability to only get two touches. Like Doug was saying, the swing passes have been huge this year. I don't have the statistics on that one play, but it seems like they're getting eight-plus yards every time they, they run that. There's certainly screens two running backs within this offense. There are different ways you can utilize it. Like we see it with Concepcion on NC State. They're just finding different ways to get him the ball with two. And it's like, they're just abandoning, abandoning it. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. And I think we, I was joking in our group chat. I was saying that maybe they're holding out to because of his NFL draft profile is on the rise and they want to bring him back for next year. But like, there's simply no excuse for him only getting two touches. I mean, if, if I told you Toon has fewer than five touches in a game, like Virginia Tech is probably going to lose that game. Like he is that pivotal to this offense. And 
I feel like there has been a problem at times this year for as good as Tyler Bowen has been. And I'll give him a lot of credit for what he's been able to accomplish this season with drones at the helm. There's been a lot of times where I think he's overanalyzing what the opposing defense is showing or what their strengths are. And to Doug's point again, not trusting in his guys to make a play. And sometimes that could really, really hurt Virginia Tech's chances. And we like we see it. They start slow so often this year. And this was another example where they're fighting late in the game to come back. Uh, it's just a little consistent from that offensive coordinator approach. I thought the the, the other thing with screens is like, you know, Peyton Wilson is on the other side. Like if you watch any film on him, he makes those plays constantly. Like he, he flies to the ball, no matter where you throw it on the out wide on a screen. And he, he does not get blocked by screen blockers, by offensive linemen. Like he's, that's, that's easy money for him to, diagnose a screen and get around a left tackle in space and make, I mean, just did that over and over again. And I thought it was, uh, I thought it was weird that they, that would, that was where they wanted to test him early. It was like, like we need to get off to a good start. We need to play from ahead. We need to do all this stuff and we're going to test, like we're going to have Peyton Wilson running towards the football to, to make a play in open space, which he's clearly one of the best players in the country doing. Um, I just didn't think the the game plan in general did not make any sense um, for for Tootin for the for the early kind of tepidness on how they tiptoed into the game offensively. Um, I just think it didn't make any sense. And like what Matei said, like they didn't give once they gave the players a chance, they made plays even when NC State knew Tech was passing to catch up, and they were still able to pick up chunk yardage to the air. So something something was off with the game plan and how they how they felt what they thought was a good idea of attacking. Um, and yeah, I, I think that just brings up like there's some inexperience there at coordinator on both sides of the ball that is just different when you've called plays for twenty games in your career versus like you saw you saw what Robert and I did to Virginia Tech's defense. He's called play for like thirty years. Like I, I just think there's a different, different level when you've done something over and over and over again. And you've seen everything and you've adjusted to everything and you've done all this stuff, and it, I think it's different. Any like overwhelming positives that you can take out of this one? I mean, I, I know that defensively it was a, a pretty poor showing uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Anything you liked defensively? Well, I was going to say offensively. I was kind of disqualifying <laughs> defensively. I'm the one who refused to put a. I didn't either. Defense. Both of you guys. Both said, of you guys. I said I got nothing. Um, I got nothing defensively. Offensively, I thought drones. Drones has gotten lucky. It feels like drones has gotten lucky to not have significantly more interceptions than he does have, with a couple of those tip passes and dropped interceptions and stuff. But he was. I mean, Tech got back sort of into that game because of him and because, you know, they weren't hand. We covered them. They weren't handing it to Tootin and Thomas, so it was drones throwing and drones running. And he largely made the throw. The throw to Gosnell in the corner of the end zone for a touchdown was a really impressive throw. Like, he he made, like, he made all the throws, I think, once since he was forced to do that. He made, 
he made enough plays to like <laughs> at that point you fall behind like that the most you can ask for is for your quarterback to give you a shot at an onside kick to try and steal the game and that's what he did so i was impressed with drones and his ability um nc state has two good corners a good defense they knew he was throwing the ball and he still made plays yeah i'll i'll say that even though we've we harped on tyler bowen like Virginia Tech had the ball for 19 minutes. They had 46 total plays. To put that into perspective, NC State rushed the ball 47 times. I mean, it, it was just so one-sided in terms of time of possession. But And I, I know it's from the situation, and you know, NC State was kind of playing with time on their hands and uh, garbage time late in the game. But to put up 28 points against this type of defense on you know 46 plays, holding the ball for 19 minutes... I don't think that's really a testament to Bowen, but maybe more so drones and his individual ability. And then some of those wide receivers like Gosnell has been stepping up the past two weeks. I think Andrew, you you wrote about it, but Daquan Felton had a really good game. It seemed like he, you know, that that might have been his best game uh in Orange and Maroon. So um in terms of just individual performances, I think you're encouraged about some of the growing signs you're seeing from drones who continues to progress every week uh, did throw that one interception, but I think that was kind of out of necessity. Like you're, you're playing a little riskier towards the end of the game. And then, you know, the wide receiver room just stepping up. Did we ever, did anybody ever look at that interception on review? It seemed like on the broadcast that it was a little questionable and they didn't review it, but I don't know if that got resolved. No, I have no comment. <laughs> I was at the game. And I think the interception is the point where I left the game. <laughs> I was like, oh, we got to stay. I mean, it was cold. It was colder than I thought it would be. I was like, okay, yeah. we can watch the rest of this front bar. Those then, November home games when the sun goes down at, set, at halftime are, yeah. are tough. They reeled me in. And then <laughs> so I was leaving. And then I'm like, actually, maybe we can stick it out for this drive. You never know what's going to happen. He throws the pick. I'm like, all right. All right. <laughs> uh, seen enough. I've seen enough. All right. So uh, I, I want to go to a big overarching question now. Right. And, and this is something that uh, my guy, Mike McDaniel, posed on the Hokey Hangover Podcast Twitter account. It got a lot of traction and it, it's been very divisive, uh, you know, amongst at least the very online version of the fan base, <laughs> which is. Virginia Tech loses to UVA on Saturday and finishes the season five and seven. Do you consider the season to be a failure? Now, I talk about divisive. I mean, like, this question has literally (laughs) divided the fan base by two. 1,400 votes and the final count was 51.7 for no to 48.3 for yes. If this was an election, the media would say it's too close to call. Where do you guys stand? I, it, would, it would depend on what happened against UVA, I think, would influence a little bit. Like, is it a close game or uncompetitive game? I think I would still lean. It's not a failure at five wins. It's not a rousing success by any stretch. 
Um, but I also think we, we talked like six wins was a worthy achievement and a would be a good season and kind of a great season for where Virginia tech was last year. Um, and they get to five in an almost six you're disappointed, but like kind of fine. Like it's, it's pretty decent. Like if we're saying six wins was going to be this like successful season, definitely no doubt about it. Like five has got to be like, well, they were pretty close. Um, we, we talked in the preseason about like, they've got to answer the quarterback question. They've got to get an answer to the quarterback question. I, I think drones has answered it. I'm pretty confident they're not going to the portal to find a starter um, to replace drones. So I think, you know, he's got two years left of eligibility. So five wins and an answer at quarterback, I would be cautiously fine with that. Um, a loss to UVA would definitely be disappointing. A big loss to UVA would be pretty, pretty severely disappointing. Um, but I also, but I just don't see it as a failure. Five wins, a two-game improvement over last year. You finally got the quarterback question answered. Um, you know, I, I think that's fine. Like, I don't think it's a, I don't think the, this weekend's game is like win and it's a success and lose and it's a complete failure. There's like, there's definitely a gray area in there of, you know, like it's, it's fine. It's like, yeah, we should have beat UVA at the end or wish they beat UVA at the end and all that stuff. But it just like, there's, you can draw positives out of a five and seven season where like, I feel like if you're calling a season a failure, there's you're kind of blowing it up and starting over kind of thing. Yeah. I think I agree with Doug and that the entire season as a whole, you can't really look at it black and white as, as a fair, because I think we've seen many more positives than we saw in year one. And I know we're talking about the context of one season is this season a failure. I think, all of us, I put five and seven in our preseason predictions. I think most of us put six and six. Like that was the goal of the season. If you achieve that, like you're you're definitely on the right step. You're trending towards the right direction. After a three and eight first season, like you have to understand it's still a rebuild. This isn't like the fully polished Virginia Tech that um, you know, we're we're gonna expect to see in the future. And I think we've touched on it multiple times in previous podcasts, but your hope with this rebuild is that you're going from the bar of three wins last season to five or six, maybe even seven wins this year. And then you're trying to build up from there. I think we've seen it. Like there's a clear gap between where Virginia tech wants to go. And that's against the teams like Florida state, Louisville, NC state, uh, and also being consistent against those other teams like Marshall, Purdue, Rutgers. Um, but also I, I, I just think that, it, it it's tough. It's the perception of this game is so huge because seven and five sounds so much different than five and six. And I agree with you guys. Like you found the answer at quarterback in Kyron drones, but if you're going to try to, if Virginia tech loses the Commonwealth cup, loses a chance to go to a bowl game, get the extra practices for young guys, you know, perhaps loses that chance at going seven and five, like it's it's tough to justify all those positives the in that week after to the fan base after you lose to UVA like it's unfortunate that it comes down to this i think i said like it it's got to be destiny it feels like virginia tech always is trying to make a bowl game when it comes down to UVA but overall i think 
this season, we saw so many more positives, even if it was inconsistent, even if it was a roller coaster, especially on the defense. Like we saw improvement on the offense. I think you you can say, okay, a couple guys away on the offensive line, you feel pretty good about that. Defensively, yeah, not great at linebacker, not great at safety, the run game woes, like can we fix that? Maybe still TBD, but at the same time, your defensive line, APR is, you know, putting up national numbers. Your your cornerback room looks good. I think there's a lot of elements that have improved and look good. And you feel like last year everything was going wrong. This year you feel good in a lot of spots. Heading into next year, you feel like you can plug in a couple places and all of a sudden you're you have something there. So I think that's clearly showing a sign of improvement and it's not a failure. Um, and, and again, like even if Virginia Tech loses to Virginia in the final game, like you probably give the season what, like a B minus or a B. It's like last year was a C minus. Right. And you're not just jumping straight to F just because they lose this last game, like taking the context of the season. I think there has been a lot of small victories with this team. Yeah, I I like the B minus uh grade of what that would feel like. And and yes, a lost UVA, like the immediate aftermath would be like uh dramatic. <laughs> um and 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 there would be a lot of reaction to that, but I think if you look at where this team was last year compared to this team, this year's team. Tech last year had three wins, a one point win over Liberty a 20-point win over Walford, and they blew the doors or the 17-point win over a terrible Boston College team. This year, Tech has multiple multi-score wins over actual ACC opponents. Um, last, We talked all offseason about the fact that Virginia Tech did not have one single playmaker on offense. Like, Caleb Smith was it. And, and this year, they... Added Tootin, they added Lane, they added Felton. Jennings gets hurt. Like I, I, th- I, I we talked all off season about Tech did not have a pass rush all off all last year. APR comes in. Tech is heading into this week tied for 14th in the country in sacks. Like there's been a huge improvement in terms of the talent on the roster in just one off season. And yes, they have to keep them all and and bring them back and deal with all the portal stuff. But like, you can't like, it's, it's glaringly obvious how much better this team is than last year's team. And that's sure you want six wins instead of five, but like, that's, that's all you can hope for. And they're all projected to come back next year. It's like, you didn't just add a bunch of six year seniors for one year to, to win some games and get some wins on the board. Like there's, there's there's a future and and you're kind of seeing the progress happen immediately, which I think is a good thing. It's still gonna suck if UVA wins and people are gonna freak out, but like there's definitely positives that you can point to. The safety thing is like, yeah, the safety play has been terrible, but Jalen Stroman and like if Jalen Stroman and Nasir Peoples are healthy the whole year, it's probably a different story there. But they. They've either been out for targeting or hurt the whole year, so it's like it's hard to like blame Tech for not getting the safety position right when they probably had it right. It just was a bad luck year for for that spot. My theory on this has kind of been like 
first of all, this tech team was never expected to really accomplish anything. By six wins felt like it would be an accomplishment going into the year. It certainly felt like a accomplishment sitting at one and three. So to even get the five wins from there, you know, you feel the momentum building at a minimum. You're going to finish 500 in the ACC. But I, I, I think when asked, how would you feel about five and seven this year? And I would have to tell you, like, for the season, I would have said, I want to see what that five and seven looks like. So, yes, if at one and three, you told me five and seven is where we finish, how would you feel about that? I would have said, I'm going to feel great about that, right? Because that means that Virginia Tech showed some life. And that has been sort of the victory here is that really following like the North Carolina game in 2021 and then up and through the Marshall game in 2023, being a Virginia Tech football fan hasn't really been that much fun. It, it has been kind of, it was kind of just like a two and a half year kick of the balls. October changed that. And then the Boston College game was obviously a nice cherry there too. But as part of that perception, if Virginia Tech does finish five and seven, that means you finish your season with a loss to UVA and you lost three of your last four. It would be hard to say that you go into the offseason with the same sense of momentum. And it's crazy because you could really beat UVA in any way possible, right? Like, you could win in a walk-off, John Love, all you need is love field goal. And the coaching staff has a story to tell on the recruiting trail, both to, you know, the younger guys within the Commonwealth, the high school classes that they're trying to sell themselves to, as well as some of these transfer guys where you can say, Come to Virginia Tech, we're just a few guys away. But to at least a degree, while not entirely eliminated, that momentum is stifled, and it'd be hard to ignore. So I, I won't call it a failure in the same way that I don't think 6-6 six and six is like a massive success because you still see, to your guys' point, some of the, the key points of development that you were looking for. But it'd be a sour note to end on for sure. Ultimately, you know, it does come down to this game, right? Six and six or five and seven. Commonwealth Cup stays home or not. This UVA team has been weird. <laughs> haven't won a lot of games. They were supposed to be, you know, the absolute doormat of the ACC. And though, they, again, the wins haven't come, they've played a lot of good teams close. Doug, tell us about them. Weird is a good way to describe them. They have been they're three and eight, started zero and five, uh, three and three since. Uh, you know, it they are they're tough to figure out. Um, just because their games have they've figured out a way to compete while, you know, not really being good enough to win those games. Like if you look at all their statistical numbers and stuff, like they don't have any business being in those games. Um, and like 
being within one score. I think they've played seven one score games in the last uh, eight games. The only one was the blowout against Georgia Tech a few weeks ago. So it's like been this weird thing where they they're competing above their pay grade, but like not good, but not good enough to to push it over the line. And that's why like Virginia comes in kind of vibing a little bit. It feels like like they're probably the most happy three and eight team in the country probably like they they we talked about virginia tech answering their quarterback question uva definitely answered their quarterback question with calandra um just the way he plays and that he's a freshman and that he's having success and has clear clear ability um like they've answered their quarterback question for the next three plus years um they don't have a running game. They're neither did NC State. So caveat like there's this weird dichotomy, I guess, with this game where it's like everything or a lot of what we know about Virginia lines up with what we also know Virginia means Virginia Tech will play well. Like UVA doesn't have a good running game. Um UVA does not protect does not keep defenses out of their backfield. They do not get into the backfield as a defense. Um, they're they're not good on third downs. They're not good on special teams. Like all these metrics and numbers you can look at, and you're like, yeah, that aligns with like Boston College and Syracuse and Wake Forest and Pitt. That that's a team that Virginia Tech this season has played really well against. But then at the same time, then you're like, yeah, well, Tech played terrible against NC State and. Um, and it kind of just feels different. Like it feels like the teams are in a different spot, which is interesting. Um, you know, Malik Washington, their UVA's wide receiver is uh, either the best or the second best wide receiver tech has faced. I think Keon Coleman at Florida state has an argument there, but he's the most productive wide receiver in the country this year. Um, really difficult to bring down. We've talked a lot this year about, uh, Dorian Strong and Monsoor Delane getting challenged. Um, talked about it against Florida State. We talked about it against um, Louisville. Like his, their kind of showcase opportunity. This is another one. Um, Washington is really, really good. Malachi Fields, their second wide receiver, is also really good and really productive. And they kind of just feed them the ball all the time. So um, I think the keys to the game are. Obviously, Tech has to stop the run. If 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 for some reason UVA generates any kind of rushing attack, the game the game's over. UVA wins. Um, but if Tech can just like keep UVA to their averages on on offense for for rushing, then it comes becomes about Calandra's decision making. He's he he's prone to some questionable decisions although he's been much better the last two weeks so you wonder if he's kind of turning the corner and things are slowing down for him um the other that 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 means you got to get a pass rush on him virginia tech i mentioned they're they're tied for 14th in sacks in the country for the season they're number one in sacks at home and like number 121 in sacks on the road the pass rush has not traveled this year um that's gonna have to happen this year tech UVA's right side of the offensive line is probably the area where you can exploit. That's where they've struggled more than the left side. Um, but but if you're going to force Calandra into some mistakes and 
try and turn him over, you're going to have to get pressure in his face. He, he's much worse, obviously, like most quarterbacks are with pressure. Um, and, and then I think it's on Strong and Delane and Derek Canteen. Like, that's it. Like, they're going to throw the ball to Malik Washington 12 to 15 times. And and based on his stats this year, he's going to catch 80% of those passes. And, and I don't know that you can stop, like, you can make that 50% of the passes or something like that. Like, I don't know that that's possible, but you can at least keep a lid on them and, and um, prevent, especially Washington from dominating the game at wide receiver. Um, he has the most missed tackles forced of any wide receiver in the power five. Uh, he has the most yards after catch of any wide receiver or the second most yards after catch of any receiver in the power five. Like the battle for him is not, just to prevent him. Obviously, you want to prevent him from catching the ball, but it's getting him on the ground afterwards. Um, really, really challenging. Um, I think Virginia Tech's offense should have ability to score enough points. I mean, we just talked about like when you let them roll, and if you get tooting the ball more than twice, like they're probably they just scored twenty eight on a really good NC State defense. I think that translates against UVA. They are Boston College like in how little they sack the quarterback and play in the backfield as a defense. Like I don't I forget the numbers, but it's like they're in the hundredths for sacks this year and for tackles for loss this year. So they don't play in the backfield. That makes drones comfortable. And when he's comfortable, he's pretty darn good as a passer. He's proven. And then the rush defense isn't great either. So like there's I think tech tech's offense should score enough to win the game. The question is what the defense does, and and that's the caveat, especially coming out of last week with NC State. Like, I don't think UVA's defensive, I mean, offensive line is as good as um, NC State's. Um, but like, if Tech gets wiped off the line on the line of scrimmage, it's not going to happen. And that's what happened last week, which is kind of hard to like forget about when you're looking at this. Like, everything says a lot of statistics line up, and you're like, yeah, Virginia Tech. That, that's right up their alley this is this is aligns well but then you're like well last week happened so i don't know it's gonna be interesting i think it's gonna be a close game i really think field position is gonna be huge um if you can back uva up uh you you're gonna have a lot of success uva has not scored a point on a drive that started inside their own 20 this year they're that's obviously dead last in the in the FBS they haven't scored so I think special teams Peter Moore punting them inside the 20 is key um the return games UVA has gets almost nothing on returns and is not good on return coverage I think it's a big opportunity for Tucker Holloway and Basil Tootin on punt return and kick return like I, you know, it feels like another game that's going to be close and it's going to be decided by field position, turnovers, third downs, kind of those key moments of like both teams are terrible on third down. So, like, what who, if you if you go 50% on third down instead of your normal 30% on third down, like you'll have a big advantage in this game. So, um, it's, it's going to be an interesting, tight game. I, I don't expect a blowout on either side. And I, and I do expect like some pretty big swings. Like it feels like Tech's passing attack in particular is, especially after last week, is kind of uh, proven itself as like 
a big play potential. Daquan Felton down the field, Jalen Lane, that kind of stuff. UVA's is definitely like that. They, they love to throw the ball down the field to Washington. So I kind of feel like this is going to be a trade back and forth game. Um, Tech hasn't really had one of those where they're just kind of trading blows with a team. So I think they're due for that. Yeah, it's funny when when Doug's doing this preview, I heard of a lot of not very good or bad. And I think like just objectively speaking, I know I said the same thing last week, just like looking at the statistics, the gut feel, all that, like that aligned me to NC State winning that game. And I think when I look at this one, like there's a lot of things that you like as a Virginia Tech fan, like this is the number 112 rushing defense in the country, allowing nearly 180 yards per game in Virginia. They don't run the ball well, as Doug said, uh, number 99 in rushing offense, number 112 in sacks given up. Um, I thought it was an interesting stat, but just that Virginia 71st in passing offense and Virginia Tech is 72nd. Um, obviously, it feels like Virginia is more especially with, you know, Washington being in the conversation for, you know, top wide receiver in the country, uh, you would imagine that this Virginia team is more of a, and Calandria, like a gunslinger, you know, trying to get the ball out to wide receivers. Um, And then Virginia Tech, on the other hand, we talk about how they try to establish the run and then use the pass once that's set up. But, you know, they're neck and neck in terms of their production this season. Um, I think, when you look at this, like obviously a lot of matchups that you like, I think it's, you know, you feel, although you're playing against one of the best wide receivers in in the conference, at least, um, you feel good about that matchup there with Dorian Strong and Monsoor Delane. I think that, again, more NFL film there for whenever those guys decide they want to go. Um, I think the concern with Virginia Tech, my only concern, I think last week was among the top two worst performances we've seen out of the linebacker core this year. I think they played really, really bad, all things considered. I don't know if that's the norm. I don't know if, you know, you can expect this UVA offense to hold the ball like NC State for 40 minutes in this type of game. Uh, And then the second thing is following NC State, I think, you know, Nazir Peoples is questionable. Jalen Stroman is questionable. Uh, there are some practice reports today that Derek Canteen is working back there. Uh, I think Jalen Jones is a little banged up as well. Um, so a lot of guys in blue, especially in that safety group. And I think that, you know, mixed in with the linebackers with a guy like Calandria that really like, I think there's been one game this year where he hasn't thrown an interception. And that was last week against Duke. Um, like this guy is, you know, he is risking it all on every throw that he makes. Like he's not intentionally going out there to throw an interception, but this is a guy that really just looks towards the next play, like wants to make plays. And if something bad happens, we'll learn from it. It's like a typical true freshman that's been put in that spot. And I think you, you, I I do have a little bit of concern, especially with that safety group, if they're not on the same page. Um, And then that linebacker core, as I mentioned, but then offensively, like I feel really good about drones. I feel really good about Tootin if he gets the ball in his hands from Tyler Bowen. And I think it's another week where if you are able to get off to an early lead, if you are able to establish what you were able to establish against teams like Boston College, Pittsburgh, Wake Forest, Syracuse, like I feel pretty confident about Virginia Tech, all things considered. I know there's going to be, you know, 
extracurriculars in this game. Like we're going to see UVA kind of bringing out everything that they have in the playbook like this, you know, they play well in their Super Bowls and they've been competitive against good teams. I also think on the flip side, like maybe some other teams overlooked them or, you know, they weren't studying as hard when they're facing against like a Virginia um, in terms of the film room, like when teams are playing them, like I, I do think there's a flip side there, but overall, I think like this season has been the most clear cut in terms of Virginia tech has lost to really good teams or teams that are better in the things that they are bad at. And this completely lines up with those other games that we mentioned, the Pittsburgh Syracuse, like, Every metric is what that Virginia is bad at is what Virginia Tech is good at. And I think that gives me a lot of confidence. And I know we'll get to predictions later, but I think the only thing really that you worry about, again, besides the defense here, is just like it's that Super Bowl type of game. Um, but overall, I think like it, it, it seems pretty clear cut to me. So lay it on. What are the predictions here, gentlemen? So <laughs> I feel like I've been I've been underselling the predictions week by week. Like I'm usually in the 20s um, and I feel like at least one opponent has scored in the 30s. And so I'm adjusting for the Commonwealth Cup. I think Virginia Tech is going to score 38 points and I think UVA is going to score 24. I think it's going to be a 14 point win. I, I, I think it's going to be pretty sizable. Confidence. I don't have it. Um, <laughs> I do think, like I said, I think it's going to be a back and forth battle. Um, kind of feels like the game that Tech hasn't had, right? They've had the blowouts on either side. They haven't really gotten into even the Marshall game and Purdue game. They're playing catch up in a low scoring tight one. Like they haven't had kind of the trade and blows. This game is drunk kind of game yet. I'm going to go with that happening this game. I think um, I, I'm, I'm not sure about the defense, and I think Tech's best uh, best position defensively, the cornerbacks, have a tough matchup this week. So I think plays are going to be made there. Um, but at the same time, I think, like Matei said, a lot of what we know about Virginia Tech lines up in this game. Like UVA does not have a strong running back to break a big, big run. Um, they don't protect... They don't keep def defenses out of their backfield. They don't get into the backfield. Um, all of that stuff. They're, they're prone to turnovers. Um, I think they're minus five turnover margin this year. Like there's a lot of um, that all lines up. And, and I just think it's going to be like a, but, but Calandra is playing really good. Malik Washington, really good. They're obviously playing with a lot of confidence. So I think they're going to be right there. The home field advantage helps them. Um, I'm also going to go in the 30s, but I think it's going to be like a crazy 35-31 game. I think at the end of the day, I like Virginia Tech's offense's ability to get the job done um, against a defensive front, in particular, like that they can that they can dominate, that they can that, that they can have success against, and kind of dictate things offensively. Um, that's what we've seen against Wake, against Syracuse, against BC, like when they can kind of have their way with you um, and, and drones gets comfortable and they can run the ball and pass the ball in a balanced attack. Obviously they lean heavier on the run when, when things are going well, but I think, I, I think they're, they've proven difficult to stop 
um, against against you know line front sevens that they have that are not disruptive and that they can kind of press their press the advantage against. So I think Tech gets it done 35-31. I also think there's a punt return for a touchdown in this game by Tucker Holloway. I'll throw that prediction out, out there. Um, specific. Specific. Uh, they're, not, they're not good on punt return coverage, and they allow a lot of returns. It's kind of wild. Um, they allow a lot of punt returns and a lot of kick returns. Like They don't believe in touchbacks or fair catches, it seems. But um, So there's going to be an opportunity. I'll go Holloway. Um, there. So 35-31 Virginia Tech, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be it, you know, back and forth. Um, but, you know, that's, that all happens sometimes, and that's fun. I also feel like that always happens in this type of game. Like, everything that you think of that happens in the season, like, all of that is tossed out of the window. Like, that, that year where Brendan Armstrong had, like, his, you know, potential, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And then he's throwing, he's throwing passes to offensive linemen. Like it felt like to me that year, UVA was so much better than Virginia tech and they still found a way to lose. So it's kind of the same offense. Um, If you look at like their numbers that year to this year, like they Armstrong is better than Calandra, obviously, but like they had three really good receivers there. They have two this year that they throw the ball to constantly kind of the same thing. And even in that game, like you, like everybody talks about the, Pass to Haskins, the left tackle or right tackle or whatever he was, but they still had a chance like two plays later from like the 12 yard line to throw a touchdown pass and it just got knocked down. Like, um, that, that I agree that feels like where this is going. And I think it's the first game, if my prediction comes through, it's like the first back and forth game Tech has had since six overtime against North Carolina. Uh, I don't remember the last game that like that has just been trading bunches back and forth like that. So, um, I'm ready to strap in. It's nerve wracking just because you know that, you know, UVA is the team that doesn't really have anything to lose in this contest. And Virginia Tech certainly has everything, not everything to lose, but certainly a lot more. To avoid being repetitive, I agree with all your takes against the strengths against the weaknesses. And Tech's going to be in a position to sort of assert what they want to do on offense. And really, if you look where the Hokies have floundered, at least recently, it's been against defenses that are capable enough to knock Tech off their skates and force them out of their comfort zone. We've seen time and time again, that does not work. It's going to be a crazy one. Tech 27, UVA 24. I can't pick against them. I think they're the better football team. Though I would not be surprised in any way, shape, or form if they lose, unfortunately. The game that everyone had chalked up as an automatic W going into the season. Even at like one and three, people were like, this team could go two and (laughs) ten. They'll beat UVA in the last game of the season. Well, UVA was 0 and 5 at that time. Yeah. Now here we are. And, you know, the nightmare situation, the week of anxiety is with us once again, a position that Tech has been in many times and really has set up for some of the best games of the last decade, at least from a Virginia Tech fan perspective. You know, being on the right side of it and punching your ticket to bowl eligibility and doing it in these crazy games, you think back to 18, you think back to 21, the day that made J.C. Price famous, 
there's some fun memories. Hopefully, some more here. I think I was thinking about this earlier, but that kind of worries me about UVA's chances. Like Tech, forget what it was. Over the last like twelve years, Tech has played VA for bowl eligibility like six or seven times and won every single game. That kind of feels like like statistically improbable. Like it's it's they eventually they have to stop Virginia Tech from like from from clinching bowl eligibility eligibility against them right like it kind of feels like eventually it's gonna happen if you do like if if this is the eighth time that would be kind of wild to win it again there was a 15 year streak so you i mean you never know how long <laughs> these things last so um no i totally the agree scoring I, streak remains alive and well you know you'd nope. feel at some point that scoring wow. streak is alive the scoring streak will still be alive in the this scoring game scoring streak is safe this week yeah, yeah it's guaranteed though the one thing i will say to your point andrew just about how like this is always like the best time for virginia tech fan life is about perspective like if you're an alabama fan you're like i want to go 12 and 0 make the college football playoffs it's like at least in the last decade for virginia tech it's like i want to win the commonwealth cup and then i want to punch my ticket to el paso texas playing the <laughs> lawnmower bowl like that is that is the life of a tech fan that's what we're accustomed to and, and because the fan base is so great so die hard you know Selling out every home game coming off a three-win season. It really does matter. Like, not just myself and everyone I interact with on the internet and everyone I went to college with. Everyone is universally invested in the ability of these young men to go to Charlottesville, beat a three-win football team, and ultimately go to El Paso or Annapolis or... Fenway Bowl. Yeah, or Boston or wherever. You know, it, it's you know we went to a lot of bowl games in a row, and saving the streak was great. But coming off of uh, you know having made it to one in the past three seasons, and the one being a total dud, they, I'm not going to take that for granted again. I want to see this team play football in December, and quite frankly, I think they could use the extra practices. The extra practices, we could probably talk about this next week when we know what happened, but will be huge. I, I assume people who choose to go to the portal will not play in that game, but like if you look at Brent Pride talked about it today, 50 players they've brought in over the last two weeks or two seasons. And like you, you look at who's played this year of like Braylon Johnson and Dante Lovett and Caleb Woodson and, um, Davion Turner Bradshaw and like definitely the offensive line, like three more weeks for those guys would be significant. Extremely. Well, to all of our listeners, one more time, we have to mention it because Virginia Tech is not the only team playing for bowl eligibility this week. (laughs) The Nebraska Cornhuskers, they found themselves in their nightmare situation. They had three games, really four games, going back to Michigan State. Michigan State, nope, couldn't win that one. Maryland, eh. Wisconsin, nope. Now, (laughs) against their hated rivals, the Iowa Hawkeyes, they got to win to get back to a bowl game for the first time in, I believe, six years for Nebraska. Uh, (laughs) And last I checked, their favorites. Yeah, two and a half. 
What's the over under on this? 14? Let me check. <laughs> it's been like perennially 28 for Iowa games this year. 26 well, and a half. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> there was, I was, we were mentioning it last week when we were talking about, by the way, like the parallel between Virginia Tech and Nebraska is just like, <laughs> it, it's always going to exist. Like it's destiny that it came down to the final week for Nebraska. But we were talking about it last week that Iowa set the record for, um, I think, I forget who it was against. It might have been Rutgers, um, but they set the uh, the lowest total over under at 21 and a half a couple weeks ago. So not surprised by this. Should be an absolute uh, slugfest. That game is Black Friday at noon. So 11 o'clock Central Time kickoff. And like, that's going to be... I don't, what was it? 20, what? 28? 26? 26 and a half. half. That's an under. 13 to 10. 100%. I was thinking like in, you know, as we're talking right now, you mentioned the games at noon on Friday. I'm actually driving down to uh, the DC area on Friday. I'm like, oh, I can listen to the Nebraska game on the radio. Then I'm thinking about how the games actually get to play out. It's gonna be so boring. What's yeah, that on the radio? <laughs> so I guess maybe we'll just I don't know. Follow it at rest stops. I did just look at my DraftKings. I have a Nebraska under six bet from before this year that's still somehow alive. Wow. But but can't go against the Cornhuskers. Right. No, you can't. Did you see what the if, Matt Rule? What quote if Jack plays Corn Nebraska in the bowl game? Dude, that's in play. Not not to presume, but that's in play. I'll say if the game's in El Paso and that's the game, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> that no would doubt be in my mind. Uh, the most well attended El Paso Bowl of all time. If that does indeed happen, I know we're we're presuming here, but <laughs> that would yeah. be a sloppy game, great fan experience, and it's <laughs> destiny. At the end of the day, it's destiny. And that's what we talked about. We, I what was that three weeks ago. We were like. It is destiny that the UEA game comes down to bowl eligibility. Yep. And it here we are. Destiny. It is now destiny for Tech to play Nebraska in El Paso. Let's hope so. Let's <laughs> hope so. And shout out to Matt Rule for comparing the college football coaching industry to the mafia. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just search up Matt Rule Mafia. I'm sure Google will take you to the long form version of what I'm alluding to. But, gentlemen, great season of previews. We've talked Virginia Tech. We've talked in shorter form about Nebraska uh, and, and, and many others. And ultimately, an entertaining regular season comes to an end, hopefully, in the win column for Virginia Tech. You're listening to VT Scoop 24-7 Sports inside the tunnel podcast if you're listening hit subscribe go get a vip subscription to vt scoop Matei and doug and then i, I kind of just contribute but they do great long form writing i just decline to give mvps when the team does not play well and of course all the recruiting scoop you can imagine you don't know what you're missing go and grab it vt scoop 24 7 sports We'll be back next week to hopefully not talk about what was the last game of 2023 for the Hokies.
and we hope you join us. Until then, enjoy your weekend. Happy Thanksgiving. Beat UVA. Go Hokies. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.